Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the 3304 Sports Podcast. Kobe and Birch, I'm joined once again by Ishan Lamba and Connor Mardian, as we are now on the second episode of the World Cup preview and overall World Cup podcast series that we are doing here. This episode, of course, will take place over groups C and D. Uh, if you did not listen to the previous episode, I would suggest you go back and tune into that. Um, I will give you a brief summary here, but essentially we will be going through the groups, giving how we think the groups will end up, uh, and then we'll continue to talk about the World Cup when the World Cup actually starts here uh, in just about a few weeks. So with that being said, uh, you know we, we start off with the groups A and B last time, group C and D. Uh, how do those compare in excitement for you? Uh, I think it's sort of, I mean, it, it's the World Cup after all, so I'm not going to say it's it's a drop-off, but compared to the first couple groups, I think these two are a, lit more, a, a bit more cut and dry. Um, and, you know, obviously in the future we'll have some more podcasts where we talk about groups where really it can go anyway for the four teams in the group but i think these ones are pretty like already sort of decided yeah i feel like there's out of the two groups there's four teams that we pretty much i can almost assume we all have going through and i still see the other uh, four teams making posing much as a threat of actually advancing to the knockouts yeah i mean it's definitely certainly uh gonna be a little bit interesting um just be particularly with this section just because uh you guys are definitely right i think there are some harder groups to predict Uh, i would definitely say the last two groups that we're going to be talking about g and h are going to be very interesting uh even next episode is going to be pretty hard uh what i will say uh before uh, we get into uh, a couple of prelims before the group uh is that group c and d i will also uh agree with and admit that it does feel Outside of maybe Group C, um, you, we know who is going to be coming out, um, or at the very least, you feel very, very confident. So with that in mind, I do want to prelim with uh, some things I've noticed recently. Uh, one thing's going to be non-World Cup, and the other thing is going to uh, be World Cup related. So we'll be a little bit brief, but ultimately, it's just because it's big news. Uh, so non-World Cup related, uh, back last week, um, something that we didn't bring up about the Tottenham game was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo walking off the pitch. Uh, we, we mentioned it, but we didn't mention that specific uh, part of the game. So ultimately, uh, I, I want to get y'all's reaction in that sense. And ultimately, um, who's in the wrong? Where should Ronaldo end up? Uh, I, I think Ten Hag was in the right to sort of uh, discipline Ronaldo for that. Yeah, I understand it, it is the Cristiano Ronaldo, but you really can't put yourself above the team. Uh, and I know he's expressed that he's wanted out for a while. That's not what I'm disputing. It's just that, you know, yeah, you don't want to be here, but you are here. That's not going to change for, you know, at least until the next transfer window gotta at least respect what's going on you, you gotta respect your teammates your coaches all that stuff so I, I think that was the right move from that regard um 
Honestly, I really have no idea where Ronaldo should go. Um, just because, like, I mean, he, he is in the, the twilight of his career. And so, you know, he, you, you and I talked about this. There's probably a, maybe a season or two that he has where he can still be Cristiano Ronaldo before he sort of has a drop-off. Um, I, I think that there, there's lots of, like, you know, top four or sorry champions league teams in europe that might be interested um but overall i know the likes of like uh byron and psg have all said nah so i think i think there's a good chance he might stay in the prem league if he decide you know if he takes up another team on their offer to get out of united but i honestly couldn't even begin to describe where he might grow where he might go yeah i i also think ten hog was in the right i feel like ronaldo i mean you know he's the be the best player of all time i think he's probably second best of all time but you can't be above your team and in the past he was able to step over ragnick and over ole gunner certainly so i think it's nice to see ten hog putting his foot down and because imagine if it wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo, if that was any other player, he would simply, he would have had the same thing have happened to him. I also like how Ten Hag even went as far as to make him train at the U21s and like make him train alone. I like that a lot by showing that he is at the end of the day the boss instead of the players. In terms of where he could go, I heard it could be Chelsea, but then I heard Todd Bailey, you know, the new Chelsea owner saying he wants them, but Potter doesn't want him. So I don't think he's going to go there. Maybe Italy, a return to Napoli. I mean, a going to Napoli, a return to Italy. Maybe Real Madrid. I know Sporting Lisbon today, they came out and said that although they want him, they don't have the money for him. It's difficult. It's difficult to find a team that's going to be able to incorporate him well and also be able to pay that expensive payroll. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, ultimately for me, uh this situation, and I think we will all agree, this stems away from Ronaldo and Tim Hogg, more stems towards the Glazers. Um, from all the reports that we've heard, which as this situation has occurred, I believe uh, even more, is the sense that Ten Hogg was willing to let Ronaldo walk because he didn't really have Ronaldo in the plans for his project. And uh, Ronaldo wanted to leave as he wanted to get consistent game time. You know, he's nearing, nearing the end of his career. And, you know, he's, you know so since, since that's happening and he wasn't going to be starting in the first place, he wants to be able to go to somewhere where he's really going to be able to be valued and not be a part of the project. So Ronaldo walking off the pitch isn't acceptable. That I'm not, you know, saying, you know, letting him off for that in a sense. Um, but what I am more saying is that I can understand um, why he did what he did. Um, and the frustrations that he's had because of the talent that he is and the fact that he's in the twilight years of his career. Um, and Ten Hag disciplining him needed to happen. Everything like that. So ultimately, neither, uh, you know, in, in the team side of it, no one's in the wrong. It comes from the management not wanting to sell him, kind of screwing his career a little bit, screwing with his career. Uh, just another incompetent moment of the Blazers. Uh, <laughs> You know, which at this point is just kind of normal 
that they'll yeah, have one of the mill. Yeah, exactly. Like it feels like once every month or every two months, there's something really incompetent that they do. And it's like, oh, great. Cool. So uh, the other thing, though, World Cup wise, and I found this really interesting, it was posted recently, uh, is that uh, Ukrainian sides, particularly uh, what I've seen a tweet here, uh, like FC Shakhtar, uh, FC Shakhtar are uh, protesting for Iran to be removed from the World Cup. Uh, as specifically, um, you know, it hasn't been talked about as frequently in the media, but um, it is still a fact that Ukraine and Russia are at war with one another, or at the very least fighting one another, and uh, Ukrainian uh, sides and whatnot have been protesting for them to leave because Iran has been supplying Russia with drones and whatnot. Uh, I, I believe this also reported that Iranian citizens are also wanting the Iranian national team uh, to not be at the World Cup as uh, there's, you know, uh, issues in the country itself. So ultimately, uh, we'll, we'll, there will be a follow-up question to this, but what do you believe that FIFA should do with Iran? Uh, and it is uh, said that Ukraine should be the ones to replace them, which I guess kind of makes sense, not solely for the fact of Ukraine, but more for the fact of um Ukraine and Wales, I believe, was the last uh, playoff game mm -hmm. for the World Cup. So, do do you believe that Ukraine should replace Iran uh, at, at this competition? Uh, well, to address that specific question, I mean, obviously, as much as a as a feel good type moment, it would be like practically speaking, no. If you're gonna kick Iran out of the World Cup at this stage, it should be another Asian team that qualifies. Um, I, I don't exactly know the standings of the uh, the AFC qualifiers off the top of my head, um, but yeah, it should be somebody from Asia that would replace Iran. I think it's difficult to try and separate politics and sports. And I... I don't know. I'm kind of 50-50 on it because kind of like what you said, Eshan, I would it would be nice to see Ukraine do it. And they clearly have the talent to walk in to especially this World Cup group and cause havoc. Um, but it doesn't. Uh, I don't know. I I wouldn't say that they, they completely deserve it. I mean, they, they did have the chance and they did lose to Wells. So it's difficult for me to say that they lost and they still get a chance. But it's it's so much more than the sport at this point. So it's kind of a 50-50 toss-up. So I really don't even have a final answer around that. I mean, from an ethical standpoint, um, this is essentially what had happened with Russia, uh, with their being kicked out of the World Cup. Uh, I believe they'd qualified, or if not, they were in the running for it. Um, and with everything that's been going on in Ukraine, they were kicked out. So I, I think on the level of if Iran should be replaced, I think that that is more than a possibility because in a sense, if you're going to do it for one country, you should do it for another. You should kind of keep things, you know, even I think in that, and if, if that makes sense, um, because why would Iran get the special treatments, particularly since they are supplying, uh, you know, these things that are harming and killing Ukrainians. Um, but ultimately, I think from the standpoint of the 
game itself of football. Um, Ukraine making it in would be a little odd, particularly because, as you guys have mentioned, you're replacing uh, in a side that represents, you know, the Asian side of the world with in the European side of the uh, European side of the world country. Um, a team that ultimately did have a chance to make the World Cup and did get knocked out by Wales. Otherwise, we would get in the last podcast talked about Ukraine and the group with England and U.S. Um, so I think, in in my opinion, um, removing it on, I think it kind of makes sense. Um, but if you're to do it, I would want it to be a continent that's less represented because Europe is pretty well represented. Uh, Asia, of course, would be preferred um, as your then you can replace one Asian country with another Asian country. Um, but I would also personally uh, be okay with Africa as well. There's a lot of great teams in Africa that were really close. Um, and it is also a continent that, you know, you, you, you have uh, Cameroon, you've got Senegal, you've got Morocco, Ghana. I think that's it, right? That's, that's the African nations. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I was being tripped up with Tunisia for a second, but I'm pretty sure Tunisia is in the Asian, right? No, no, no. T- Tunisia counts uh, under Africa. Oh, it counts under Africa. Okay, so no, there's there's the other African nation, but still, we we, we have a lot of European representation. Um, I mean, I guess you can go Concacaf as well. Um, trying to think who else on that end. Yeah, uh, it would probably be uh, in terms of Asia. If you went Asia, it would have been UAE that would have gotten in instead of Iran. And then if you went for just somebody from the the Americas, there's the interconfederation playoffs. So from Comable, Peru could get in. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So like Peru, UAE, um, and then I would even you know throw in there like in Egypt. Uh, Maybe like I'm, I'm trying to remember who the other one was in the U.S. that was close but got knocked out. Uh, I don't think it was Jamaica, but Jamaica is like a team that comes to mind. Um, that that's what I would say. Um, and ultimately, my follow up question for this is: is with that team added, does that change any positioning to your group? Uh, if if that is to happen. Um, it would probably, it's tough to think about there, um, because. And and before you go on, I will also just say with this hypothetical, let's say it is Ukraine that goes into where we are having all these nations floating around. Let's, let's lock it into Ukraine. Okay. Well, if it is Ukraine, then like. I don't think my group standings would change because uh, I, I mentioned I did have Iran third in the group. Um, just, you know, I think they play strong defense and I think that they can draw their way through the whole group. Um, Ukraine is obviously a different team. Uh, it's built a little differently. So um, I think it'll present a different challenge to the the teams in the group. But overall, probably just gonna stay the same ranking maybe 
Ukraine plays with a little extra pep in their step and they they uh, switch with the USA for number two, but I think it'll probably just stay England, USA, uh, Ukraine, and then Wales. Yeah, so I had England, USA, Wales, and Iran. So I do think if you were to replace um, Iran with Ukraine, it probably would change things up. I could even see, I mean, because I kind of see USA, Wales, and Ukraine kind of on a level playing field. So I think if you were to insert Ukraine on there, it could change a large part of the group. I could see them going up a second, but I could also see them placing last. But I would certainly see them, I'd certainly see them in at least third. So to me, it would certainly change part of the uh, group dynamic. Uh, it would definitely change mine. I think I would put Ukraine or any other team at the bottom of the group below the U.S. Um, reason specifically is that all these teams have kind of been preparing mentally, physically, uh, uh, everything like that for this World Cup. Um, and they've kind of been getting themselves you know, ready for this situation. And to drop a team in with, uh, you know, less than a month in advance, uh, it's you're going to be on um you know they they they're going to be off on the wrong foot uh pretty much just because they aren't quite as prepped or quite as ready as some of these other teams so i could see ukraine scrapping i could see you know a ukraine team probably you know possibly pulling a point or two from some sides but i don't know if they would be ready enough to be able to advance out of the group i mean it would have to take a lot of heart in which that side certainly has um, but it, it would certainly be a challenge to say the least with such little preparation. So that out of the way, uh, ultimately we have two groups to talk about again. Uh, so with that in mind, I do want to start off here with group C. Uh, and of course I'm going to be going off of the, uh, orderings here. Uh, and that will be then to start Argentina and Argentina is a side that ultimately have not won, uh, the World Cup in a little bit. Uh, in fact, the last time they won was 1986 in Mexico, a team that we'll be talking about here pretty shortly. Um, but its last appearance in the World Cup, it lost in the knockout stage um, to, quite interestingly enough, the world champions, current reigning world champions in France. So Argentina, pretty strong side. Uh, this is definitely going to be Messi's last go around with the team. Uh, I believe this already announced, but if not, I mean, he's really old. There's no way he's, no way. So I, I, I guess, you know, the question is here with the strength of the side, is this possibly the strongest Argentina side that Messi has been a part of? I think so. And I think that's evidence in the fact that, you know, they won the the Copa America last year, which was, which actually ended a 28-year trophy drought for them. And so, you know, in, in previous tournaments, it's been messy and then just the, the supporting cast and they're, they're kind of there and they can help make things happen. But really, it was just messy. But now, um, you know, there's other people in, in Martinez and Romero, Dybala, um, Di Maria. And I think that Argentina overall is significantly more well-rounded and of course you know Messi is not like he is on the downswing of his career but 
overall he's he's still messy like he was he was the leading scorer in that copa america tournament last year so it's not like he's completely gone he can still provide and so i think that argentina definitely looks a lot better than they have in tournaments past and so i i i don't know how far i would see them going beyond the group stage but i think that they have pretty much a lock on winning the group yeah i don't think i'm as massive on argentina as many other people are but this is still certainly a top five top three team on earth without any doubt i think the biggest question marks it's always recycled around their defensive ability we've known that their midfield and offense can produce but now in defense you have romero from Tottenham, and obviously martinez from united and the ability of Nico Tagliafico, Marcus Acuna now down uh, in the fullback area. It's it's very stable defense. And then you look now with Emmy Martinez and his antics and goal, they can really only help. There are questions around Dybala's fitness and Di Maria's fitness. But even if both of those players are missing, I still trust Messi, Latoro Martinez, Julian Alvarez, and a few others to produce genuine goal scoring opportunities. So it's becoming really difficult to pinpoint a weakness on this team. Yeah, that is actually something I forgot to mention prior to this, uh, which is a good uh, thing that you pointed out, Connor, was the fact that Angel Di Maria is uh, currently uh, dealing with a hamstring injury. And then Dybala, it lists here on the athletic quadriceps, but it also, you know, says right, uh, you know, in their uh, couple sentences about the Argentinian uh, injuries that are players at risk of not making it. Uh, Dabala also has a hamstring problem that he incurred playing for Roma against Lecce. So um, ultimately, though, even if those players miss, and I think you've even mentioned this as well, it doesn't concern me. Now, what I'm going to say, like, here's what I'll say. These are big players for the team. These are players that would start for the team when healthy. But this is a really strong Argentina side. I think this is the best that, you know, Messi has had available to him. Um, maybe not the best striker partner, uh, you know, that he's had, because, of course, he had Gonzalo Higuain. Um, but Lautaro Martinez is certainly a really, really fun player to put alongside Lionel Messi. Um, and, of course, with Dybala and uh Unhealthy Maria are healthy as well. It would make for an incredible attack with, you know, other players like Angel and Joaquin Correa uh, off the bench, uh, Julian Alvarez, even uh, currently at City. Um, they, they've got uh, attacking options to spare. Their midfield is really strong with Lucelso and DePaul and Paredes, uh, you know, even some guys on the rise like I, I could see Alexis McAllister making the team. He's been pretty... Uh, uh, pretty peak for uh, Brighton recently. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that this defense is the strongest I've personally seen of it. Uh, I love Christian Romero and what he brings to the team. Lissandro Martinez is in top, top form. I expect him to start. Um, and you also have a, a lot of other great talents like Nicolas Tariapico, Marcos Acuna. Um, I don't know if Otamendi still really gets minutes, but if he does, Otamendi would be a great veteran mind in the back, fun foit. Uh, even Gonzalo Montiel, uh, they've got great options at the center back and fullback positions with, I would say, the best Argentinian keeper uh, in recent memory, Emiliano Martinez. Uh, of course, the guy who was really credited with getting them uh, that really, really big uh, win in the Copa America. 
So I definitely think this is the, strong, the strongest the side's been. It's going to be really interesting to see how they fare. Um, I, I think they have really good odds of being able to win this. Um, they're going to be playing for, you know, uh, on, on high momentum. They're going to be playing for Messi, I would think, uh, playing for the nation. I think there is a lot of uh, things that will, you know, really, really motivate this side to be able to get the job done at this World Cup. It'll be interesting to see, but definitely one of my favorite uh, sides to possibly win the whole thing. Um, not that I feel completely strongly about it, to be honest, but I feel I, I like the side. Uh, next up, though, uh, one of the sides uh, coming in now, Saudi Arabia. This is a side that at the last World Cup surprised teams, not necessarily because of what they did, because ultimately they didn't make the knockout stage, but Saudi Arabia did knock out um, uh, Egypt, uh, or at the very least kind of uh, rubbed salt in the wound by uh, getting a win over uh, the African nation. This is a side that has appeared in the World Cup six times uh, since, uh, including in 1994, and it has only uh, made it to the round of 16. That's the farthest it's made it. Uh, what's really intriguing about this side? Uh, I mean, there's not really a ton that speaks to me when I look at this team, um, similar to how they were back in 2018. Uh, it's, they're an underdog team. There's not really a ton of pressure. I think, um, you know, we talked about this with Qatar and that, um, you know, the pretty much the entire roster, they only play internally in Saudi Arabia. That's the same thing. All the players on the roster play on Saudi clubs. Um, so that can work to your advantage because, Nobody has really experienced you play in person. Um, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, last World Cup, the the final match of the group stage, Saudi Arabia, Arabia able to defeat Egypt um, and, and pull out a win. They, uh, they also played Uruguay pretty tightly, only lost one nothing. So you know, that would have been quite a shocking result if they managed to at the very least pull out a draw there. So you know, they're an underdog team um, and don't really expect them to go far. But I think that there is a reasonable possibility that they can shock some teams in the group stage. When you look at their most recent roster, you just don't see any like top elite players, which is concerning. And although it is good to a certain extent that they do play internally, like you mentioned, it's I think it's going to hurt them because if you look at the other three teams in this group, they all at least have a couple players who are world-class. And I just don't see many world-class talents on the Saudi Arabian team. And I think that's really going to hurt them when it comes down to it. Yeah. yeah they really all, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh you're, oh, you're all good. Ultimately the point I was going to make is just essentially kind of what you guys have said, but it's just kind of reiterating it is the sense of, you know how how we felt with Qatar is the sense that the the for the uh, uh, for the Qatar team, um, this is a side that you you don't know much about because all the players are playing in their specific country's league. That's exactly what's happening here with Saudi Arabia. I literally have their you know their page pulled up here. 
and all you see for their clubs is like Al-Al and Al-Ali and Al-Nasser. Uh, that's literally it. There is no other European side. There's no even like MLS side or anything. All the Saudi Arabian players that have been playing for the side have just played for Saudi Arabian clubs. And that's not a knock against the Saudi Arabian league, but ultimately what it is is, you know, it, it's hard to have a full feeling on this side when they do not consistently come up against top talent in the world. They're a decent side. They're a well-run side. They're a side that could certainly make some surprises, but it's really hard to say anything for the side uh, of, of them being able to make the knockout stage when it, they, they, they really don't play this competition on a regular basis, uh, whether that be for country or for um you know, club play, because even in some of the most recent international play, like, I, I don't see, like, a huge team for them. The biggest teams I've seen out of Saudi Arabia play recently when you're looking at their 2022 um, games are Japan in the U.S., uh, also Colombia. They lost to Colombia. They lost to Japan. They tied the U.S. nil-nil. So it's not a great look going into uh, the World Cup for the Saudi Arabians. Yeah, that, that was basically what I was going to say, that they haven't really played anybody. And, like, you know, even if you go back to last year, they played a couple uh, matches against uh, Arab states, but really nobody that you can hang your hat on. With that in mind, we move on to the third team in this group, a team that, uh, if memory serves, was a little bit disappointing its last go-around here in the World Cup. But... Fun fact as well, it is uh, one of the uh, only sides here. You know, they have some of the most appearances for the World Cup. They are actually uh, the fifth highest nation in appearances with 17. Uh, the most is Brazil, a team that we'll talk about in a future episode. Um, however, all teams around them, including the three teams below them, have won the World Cup. They are the only team that is high up that have not. The farthest that Mexico has made it is the quarterfinals. And I think that is insane for qualifying 17 times. But with that being said, uh, it's a changing regime here in Mexico. We're moving on from the Chicharito years and the Los Santos years uh, into a different era, uh, highlighted with some other European players like Edson Alvarez uh, is one name that instantly comes to mind. So how are we feeling here about one of the CONCACAF sides joining alongside the U.S.? Do they have a better face than how I feel for our nation. Uh, yeah, so I think that for Mexico, it's uh, it's tough. I'm trying to find an analogy uh, in terms of American sports, um, but yeah, it's the, there are teams in just about any league, any sport, any potentially international competition where. You know they're they're definitely good and they're their mainstays, but they can never quite get over the hump. And so, you know, Mexico's never really ever considered a favorite to win the World Cup, uh, despite always being there. You know, I, I I do have a soft spot for them just because um, the the first World Cup I ever watched, Guillermo Ochoa, his goalkeeping mm. masterpiece yep. against Brazil was absolute like that that lit up my eyes and I was I was so happy to watch that um so I I think that Mexico does have uh quite a bit of talent I think that they'll 
pretty easily get out of the group stage. Um, I think the match with Argentina is going to be one that you definitely want to watch. Um, so I, I think that under Martino, the the opportunities for this team to um, at least gain success increase. Um, and the amount of talent that the team has hasn't really changed. So um, I think that Mexico will pretty easily get into the uh, the round of 16 and onward. But as for who they would potentially play, I haven't given the bracket a quick look yet. I'll do so now, but I'm not sure how far they will go. And I'm not confident on saying where they might go. Yeah, this is a very middle of the park team in my eyes. Obviously, as you mentioned, we know the heroics of Guillermo Ochoa, and we know he can step up on vacations for this Mexican national side. But when I look at their defense, there's not many European top five league defenders on this side. I have to think that Jorge Sanchez from Ajax is the biggest name here. I do like Hector Moreno, and I do think he's very good. And when you look at this midfield, I think this is where you see the most talent, honestly. Edson Alvarez, he's drawing a lot of attention, and deservedly so. And also is Eric Gutierrez. And although Andreas Cordado is very old, he's still a very veteran leader. And this attack, it can be very good. They just never really seem to mesh at the right time. Obviously, Herving Lozano is fantastic. And Raul Jimenez has more than proven his worth as a striker. I do think the loss of Jesus Corona will really hurt this side. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, another interesting thing that I saw as I've you know done some research on this team is that uh, the only times that Mexico has ever reached the quarterfinals, the only two times, both those World Cups were in Mexico itself. So I will say a little interesting when 2026 comes around with an auto-qualified Mexico, maybe they can pull off a little bit of something again. I do really like this side. I think it's pretty well run. I think it's pretty well balanced, but I think calling the side a middle-of-the-park uh, team coming into this uh, group is spot on. Um, it's a side that I don't hate, but I don't love. It's a side that I feel like I should have confidence in um, in qualifying. I mean, when I uh, had to actually pull up here, uh, I'll see if I can find it again, but I believe that over the past like seven or eight World Cups, uh, this side has made the round of 16 uh, I actually have it pulled up again. Yeah, it's the past seven World Cups the side has made the round of 16 um, with then prior to that, they're actually banned from the 1990 World Cup. Um, and then 86, they made the quarterfinals in Mexico. Um, it's a really good, it, it, it's a talented side. My only concern is in where this will kind of segue us into the next team is I don't know where the star talent is. That's my biggest concern. In, in, in previous years, you could list Chicharito, you could list Los Santos Brothers, you could list, um, uh, as you said, I believe Jesus Corona uh, has not been as healthy as of late. Um, I was trying to see if I could see that he was injured right now. I don't know if he's injured or not. Um, but, you know, the, I, I don't really see anyone here. They have really good talent in the midfield, as you've mentioned, with Hector Herrera and Andres Guardado and uh, Edson Alvarez. They've got really good players there. They've got decent defenders. They've still got Guillermo Ochoa kicking. Um, and, you know, big shout out to DC United, too, because apparently David Ochoa 
uh, a young keeper recently got a call up um, from the Mexican national team. So that's pretty cool to me. Um, and they also have a really good striker, Raul Jimenez. I'm just, I don't know how I feel about this side and his chances in advancing past the group stage or even if it gets out of the group stage because the last side that we have, a side that has been desperate to actually do something, anything in the past couple of World Cups, uh, or not even World Cups, just overall international competition, Poland has been probably the most disappointing side, um, at least in my opinion, uh, when it comes to the world stage for a long time. This is a side, of course, that is helmed by Robert Lewandowski, but they have not been able to do anything. I mean, quite literally, the last time that this side uh, made it out of the group stage was back in 1982 when they placed third place. Otherwise, they have been stuck in the group stage. And actually, 1986 in Mexico, they made it the round of 16. So this is a side that's been struggling. Lewandowski is nearing the end of his international career. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what the side can do. Do you think that they have a chance of finally being able to not disappoint the footballing world? Uh, I don't. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, there's Lewandowski and then who else outside of that? They really, the, the Polish national team really doesn't do much on the, the world stage. Uh, haven't really been able to get anything going in in nations league games uh, they've, they've managed two wins over wales and that's pretty much it in the past year or so and so i think poland will hang around in some games uh looking at their past world cup results they don't really have a tendency to just uh you know get blown out or anything like that they will hang around they'll give you a fight but overall I think they'll wither against the stronger teams in the group. And I think that there's two clear-cut favorites over them to make it past group stage. Yeah, we know where the talent in this, lie, in this team really lies. It's simply in Robert Lewandowski. But I do think they do have some other strong players like Milik and uh, Zaluski from Roma and Zelensky from Napoli. Although I do hold question marks in this defense, their most, their best defender in my eyes is Jan Benderek. And to me, that's very scary. And that's the weakest part of this whole entire team. Because in goal, they do have Wes Chesney, who I know, obviously Juventus is struggling a lot right now, but he's historically been a very good goalkeeper. And this is a defense that gave up six goals in the Nations League game against Belgium, which it just simply cannot cut it when you're in the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, ultimately... Here's what I'll say. I think that this is the best chance that they have had to get out of the group stage. I do believe that. Um, now, granted, I, I feel like that could also be, you know, a, oh, well, you could be thinking hindsight's 2020 because uh, of 2018, it was the side that you really thought should make it out. Or um, you also look at the you know the European Championship and you would have thought in 2020 they would have made it out, um, but ultimately they didn't. Uh, last time they've really done anything in an international competition was 2016 uh, in the uh, European Championship in France, where ultimately Portugal won it all. Um, so 
my my concern with this side is exactly kind of where you guys lay it as well, which is in the defense. Um, I don't know if I'm comfortable with a Kamil Kulik, Jan Bednarek pairing uh, in front of Wojciech Szczesny. Um, I mean, it's it's okay. It, it could work, but I don't know. Uh, it does seem like, uh, I believe Matt, um, Matty Cash is finally, uh, you know, declared for the Polish national team, but he is not in good form right now. Um, you know, so just, I, I don't feel confident in the defense of the side. They have decent midfielders, but their midfielders are getting old um, with really Zielinski being the guy to highlight it all. But, you know, they may be relying on uh, Matej's click in Gregor's Kreshaviak, in which, ironically enough, plays in the Saudi league. So maybe a little bit of familiarity there. Um, and, you know, there's some other decent players like uh, Sebastian Jabonski, who I also like, but I'm not comfortable enough with this side to really say that they're going to be able to make the damage as they should. It's possible. Uh, I'm I'm, I've been tossing about if they'll make it over Mexico, but it'll be very interesting. So with that being said, let's see here with Group C how we lay out everything, um, starting off, of course, in fourth place. Yeah, for me, I think I, I've been sort of going back and forth between Saudi Arabia and Poland. I think it's probably going to be Saudi Arabia. I think that, again, they have the potential to maybe make an upset happen. Um, you know, last World Cup, again, they defeated Egypt and nearly drew with Uruguay. But um, I, I, there's really not much to speak of for their team. And uh, given the other teams in the group, I'd say in a head-to-head -head clash between Saudi Arabia and Poland, uh, I'd favor Poland in that matchup. Yeah, I have Saudi Arabia going last too, purely because, like I mentioned earlier, it's a lack of star power. As you see in every other team, they have at least one or two good players. In Saudi Arabia, it's just not really any re relevant players so I don't see him advancing past this stage, placing fourth. Yeah, unfortunately, I am with y'all on this. It's kind of the same feeling as we have with Qatar, which is just the the, the sense that there, we don't we don't know anything about the side. It's not you know a side where we see this one player shining in Europe or anything. At the very least, they're all just kind of doing their own thing in the Saudi Arabian league. So, props to them. Congrats for qualifying again, but in a group with, I would say, Poland is a little bit more well-rounded comparatively to Egypt. I don't see the side being able to get above anybody. I think that this is a team that should finish on zero points. I'm pretty comfortable with saying that. But moving on now, it is the third place, which is probably going to be for us, uh, though Ishan has already mentioned between Poland and Saudi Arabia, who's in last uh, it, it, this could be a, you know, is it Mexico or is it Poland situation, uh, I believe, in, in two, three. So let's start off with third and how we're looking here. I'll, I'll just go with Poland just because I think Mexico has more star talent than Poland does and a, a more well-rounded team. I think that Poland can can do enough to look serviceable, but... I think it's just going to be another disappointing World Cup for them where they just they get bounced in the group stage again. 
it's not ideal given the the other two teams in the group that you have they're they're in my opinion a lot more talented than you so for that reason i just have poland at third yeah i think i i also have poland in third simply because it is a battle between i did heavily consider placing poland second place over mexico but when you look at the mexico like consistency and defense i just find it to be stronger than poland's i do think poland does have obviously the best player out of those 22 and Robert Lewandowski, and I do like Zelensky and Matty Cash and Chesney, but Mexico as a whole, it's just overall a little bit of a better team. So I can see them scraping away that matchup and placing uh, second and placing uh, Poland in third. Yeah, uh, and I think that kind of lays out where we have, who we have in second, we'll get into that. But my, my concern for Poland and why I have them in third is this just, this isn't a side that really does anything great. I mean, even go back and look at the UEFA Nations League, uh, you know, kind of from June to September, they only got two wins in that one, and both of them over Wales. Um, outside of that, they were smashed by Belgium, six to one. They drew with Netherlands. That's another pretty decent result. But then also losing to Belgium and then losing to Netherlands again. Um, I, I, I just, I, it's really just kind of sad to be completely honest, because um, I don't feel any confidence in the side. I think uh, now I've checked to see if there's any other teams that have this, but they also have a friendly just a week before their game with Mexico. Um, so, you know, I think that could be decent for them. Part of my concern, and I may flip this, like I'm, this is the two, three that I have now become more tossy turny about. I may flip it later. And here's the reason why. The reason being is, first of all, Mexico and Poland play each other first. So I think that first game could really be anybody's contest. But I think the most important thing is, is I'm so narrow between Poland and Mexico because Poland, we know where the goals are coming from. Mexico, we really don't. That I could see both of these sides, you know, like I could see Mexico and Poland both beating Saudi Arabia. I could see them tying one another. And then it's just a function of, you know, did Poland score enough goals against Saudi Arabia um, that if they get battered by Argentina, does it matter? Or will Mexico get battered by Argentina? So it's ultimately just who scores more goals. Um, so I could definitely see this as a four point, four point situation that goal differential goes to Poland. But I'm currently going to go with Mexico uh, as my team in second, Poland in third. I just have no confidence in this nation to actually do anything. And we've all kind of referenced Mexico being in second. So I think we're all in agreement there. Is there any chance you think that Mexico could top Argentina? Not especially. Um, upsets do happen. I think it could happen that maybe, uh, uh, you know, Mexico draws Argentina and then has a stronger goal differential than Argentina does in the remaining two games. But that is the only scenario where I could entertain Mexico topping the group. Yeah, I think the only time Mexico could possibly scare Argentina is when they play against each other, because I don't see Argentina dropping any, any points against Poland and Saudi Arabia. And although I do like Herving Lozano and, um, and Raul Jimenez, I just don't see it being enough long-term throughout a whole 90 throughout a whole entire 90 minute game to where Mexico can keep up that pressure that Argentina will put on them 
So I don't see really see any logistical way that Argentina does not place top. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I think Argentina very much got a cakewalk draw. Um, it, it, it would be like they would have to be trying to not get out of this group, um, to put it lightly, in a sense. Um, I just, again, and I'll say it over and over again, I do not see in Mexico where they would be able to compete with a side like Argentina or a side like um even like England or Netherlands or whatnot. I just do not see where the quality is with this Mexican national team. Um, it, it will be found. We will have that quality come out, uh, you know, over the next four years, uh, you know, when it comes to the 2026 World Cup. And this also doesn't mean that Mexico, you know, can't make any damage in the knockouts. However, I, I just don't have any faith in this side being able to do anything to get over Argentina. So... With that being said, uh, as we'll go more and more into Argentina, we all agree who uh, we all agreed throughout this whole table the first time we've actually had that. So pretty cool. Um, but with that in mind, I think it is now time to move on to Group D, a group that you know Group C looks a little bit more even, but we ended up you know the same kind of mind. Group D does not look as even. Now, ironically enough, Denmark, France, and Australia draw each other again. They were all in the same group for the 2018 World Cup. Now they have a new contender in Tunisia uh, joining them. So it'll be, you know, we'll see what dynamic Tunisia can bring to this group. But we will go ahead and start off with this group talking about the reigning defending world champions, France. A side that was disappointing, to say the least, when it came to the European Championship. Uh, a side that, you know, also to add to a little bit of concern, are going to be missing in Golo Kante and Bubakar Kamara, two uh, strong CDMs. And there's a possibility that they will also be missing other deaf players like, uh, you know, Paul Pogba, who's a starter, Wesley Pafana, who I don't know if he's a starter or a bench piece, Lucas Hernandez, who I believe started from time to time, and Mike Mignon. Uh, there are all possibilities to miss as well. A lot of those are depth. And uh, you can't say this about too, too many teams, but you can definitely say this about France. France does not have any concerns for a lack of depth. This is a team that could probably pull up like its fifth or sixth option, and it's still really good. This is a side that have had so many players change nationalities away, like Khalidou uh, Koulibaly is the immediate example that comes to mind because they just do not get game time. Um, it is a very, very talented side. They're world champions currently for a reason, and how are we feeling about them getting out of this group? Uh, I think the things that you mentioned are going to be issues down the line, but as far as getting out of the group, I, I know there's, you know, definitely a curse on the defending champions in the, in the, in their next world cup. But I think that France can very easily get out of this group, even without the likes of Conte and all them, you still have uh, Benzema who is in contention for a Ballon d'Or uh, Griezmann, Giroud, uh, and then on the back, uh, Varane, I know, hope you're on your United fans, so I've heard you talk about him quite a bit, so France has a lot of strong pieces, and obviously Lloris at the back is is still very solid, um, so I think that France will very easily make it out of this group, it's just a question of how far beyond do they go with some of the issues that you mentioned. I think the loss in the Golo Conte, it will hurt. But 
the decline in his career has kind of already begun. Ever since the Champions League run that Chelsea had, he's kind of dropped off. And although it still certainly will hurt, I don't think it will be a major loss. But besides that, I mean, this French team, it's a masterclass. They've suffered recently. Like you said, uh, the Switzerland loss in the Euros, uh, very bad. But the emergence of Christopher Nkuku and Usman Dembele, who's really researched his whole entire career, it adds a whole entire new dynamic to this already like world-beating player of Chavin Mbappe. And I do believe Pogba is looking set to return. And Aurelien Chouamini from Real Madrid, he's looked class this season for the defending Champions League winners. They have the strength to go to uh, their third team, like you mentioned before. So they have too much depth to not place first in this group. And I clearly see them talking to the group and going in for the knockouts. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing, right? And here's the stat on it. Um, the past three world champions uh, have been eliminated in the group stage and four of the past five have been eliminated in the group stage. Um, the champions include France itself, uh, who were eliminated in the group stage in 02 after winning in 98. Um, Italy, who won 06 and were eliminated in the groups in 2010. Spain, who won 2010, getting eliminated in the groups in 2014, as well as Germany from this most recent World Cup, something that certainly hurt my soul, um, that were eliminated in the group stage um, as well. So there is a very bad history for these World Cup champions, but you guys have kind of mentioned it, and I'm just going to be piling on to this point that my concern is I don't know if an Australia or a Tunisia can really compete with the French national team as it currently stands. I mean, the French national team is, you know, at some of its best that I think it's ever been. It's such a very strong side overall. Um, of course, not great recent performances um, from this team. Uh, you know, like the European Championship where it got knocked out by Switzerland. But this is a side that ultimately gets kind of like Argentina, an almost cakewalky type of group where Denmark, I think, can pose a challenge. It'll be interesting to see how that game turns out. Australia, maybe with familiarity, can do a little bit of something, but I don't have any confidence in Tunisia, and we'll get to it. But ultimately, uh, as you guys have said, it's reiterating points. I don't think that the injuries or concern for this team and its performances is really going to show until we get out of the group stage because I just don't see what teams can challenge them. But however, you know, the loss of Conte is going to be immense. And Paul Pogba coming off a knee injury and not having a CDM behind him, I'm going to be completely honest as someone who watches United, um, that's not good news for France. Um, I like Pogba. I think he's good talent. Uh, his play between France and United was night and day. However, part of the reason it is night and day is because he has a world-class central defensive midfielder behind him, which allows him to move uh, freely. And I, I like Kamavinga. I like Shemeni. But my concern is, is I think they may be a little bit too fresh to really provide that comfort for Pogba like an N'Golo Kante could. So past this group, I think there is concern. In this group, I don't really see that. 
you know, we're kind of all along the same vein in that sense. It's such a talented side. It should be doing better. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, big shout out to Karim Benzema, uh, who should be with this national team as well. Uh, the star player for them during the European Championship uh, has been a star ever since Ronaldo left. And on top of that, the Ballon d'Or winner of this year absolutely freaking deserves an incredible talent. Um, but it's really interesting aside for a story for France and to see where they will go. Now, one of the two sides that they're pretty familiar with from the 2018 World Cup is the Aussies. And the Aussie, Aussie, Aussies are a pretty decent side. Uh, they have qualified for six World Cups overall. Um, first one in 1974, now 2022. The farthest they've made it was back in 06. Uh, the only time that they have ever made it out of the group stage where they were knocked out in the round of 16. And this is a side that, you know, though we aren't going to be able to maybe give it enough credit that it deserves, it does have a pretty, like, decent set of players, like some players that have been able to shine in recent years. Uh, Aaron Moy, for example. Uh, Moy was a star for Huddersfield Town when they were promoted to the Premier League. Uh, they have Oram Mabil, who uh, is a player in this, the uh, La Liga at Chadiz. Um, they've also got some other pretty decent talent in and around, um, uh, like like a Bailey Wright who plays with Sunderland, uh, and a Fran Karasik who plays for Brescia. Um, it's a decent team, but I think the concern is, is is it really to the strength of what we've seen some some Australian teams in the past? I I don't exactly think so and i think part of the reason is just because none of the players have really been able to break out into any of the big leagues uh and i think the only one major player um a defender milo stiganic uh is in the mls he plays for columbus um but aside from that the the team consists of uh, pretty young defense and midfield and um yeah they haven't really gotten uh, broken into any of the major leagues in the world and so part of that is just you know the the lack of talent and the that i guess lack of exposure to the world's top talent is going to hurt australia the, the Aussies have faced off against France, I think twice now in a World Cup, and have lost both games. Um, and they've also played Denmark four times, and they've only won one. So, like, the, the, the team itself isn't super strong, but when you couple it with the fact of the other teams in the group, I really don't like the Aussies' chances. Yeah. This Australian team, it just does not really scare me. And at really any possession, they don't have any prominent players anymore. I know you mentioned Aaron Moy and former Brian goalkeeper Matt Ryan, who both played in the Premier League for a decent amount of time. But they just none of them have been relevant in the past couple of years. And it's as simple enough to where I just don't think they have as much skill anymore. And also, they used to have Tim Cahill, who, you know, was Australia's probably debatably best ever footballer and now he doesn't play anymore so I think any type of veteran leadership is gone with him exiting the team it just looks like a team that will get walked over in this group in my opinion and that's actually where I lie here Connor it's it's the sense that 
This is an Australian side that ultimately was highlighted in recent years by Tim Cahill, of course, but also Mile Yedniak, uh, another player who was a longtime uh, Premier League talent. Uh, Yedniak was pretty impressive uh, himself, I, I believe it's the Yedniak I'm thinking of. Um, but I, I think my concern with this side is I don't really know where the talent lies. And you, you say that about a lot of, I've said that about a good bit of teams, but I really do mean it here. Like Aaron, Aaron Mui is really talented, but as you said, he's kind of fallen from grace. He's been good for Celtic, but I mean, it's, it's nothing great, right? It's nothing special. Um, and the, the thing about this side is this is a side where they are really talented. Don't get me wrong. They're a talented, talented side, but it was a Tim Cahill who could put them over the top um, and really make it to where this side, you know, had a chance. I mean, he had a 0.64 goal scoring ratio, scored 29. Uh, no, that was a different one. A 0.46 scoring 50 and 108. Um, by far the top score for Australia, the second ever or the second highest ever is Damian Mori, who played for 10 years at the side and got almost 20 less goals. So with, without as special of a talent as Cahill, I don't really see where this team's going to be able to thrive. And I think that's the biggest issue for them, particularly when they're coming up against a side like Denmark, who has uh, lots of talent kind of strewn around the field. This is a side that was really impressive in the European Championship um, during this past season. After the health scare of uh, Christian Eriksen, they then went, came out, and they dominated, including making it into the knockout stage. Uh, I'm trying to pull up where they were. I believe they were knocked out in the quarters uh, of that. I'm scrolling for it. But this is a really, really talented side. They've got a lot of spirit. Um, they made the semifinals, actually, uh, getting knocked out, I believe, by England. I don't have it quite in front of me, but that's where they made it. They made it to the semifinals. Um, it's a really talented side. European uh, uh, talent from uh, Christian Eriksen, uh, Jakob Brunlassen, Yusuf Paulsen, um, Yannick Vestergaard, lots of really, 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 really talented players. Uh, I will also note that there are some players that are currently at risk of not making it. Um, Simon Kier and Andreas Christensen, uh, Kier with a hamstring injury, um, and Christensen with a little bit of an ankle injury. Um, which would be devastating if they miss both players. Both players, I believe, are their starters at center back, but ultimately uh, do get a lot of minutes for the side no matter what. Uh, but this is a strong side. It's, it's an impressive side. So I, I, I guess the question is for Denmark is how high can this team go? I think the team is very uh, hit or miss. Uh, there's a lot of strong pieces on the team. You mentioned Ericsson, of course, not only uh, just a strong midfielder, but also just now uh, a, a spiritual leader on the team after what happened in, in the years, of course, absolutely, you know, very scary. Um, they also have Hoybierg in the, uh, in the midfield, and I've been a huge fan of what he's been able to do in the Premier League. Um, overall, I think think Denmark can, uh, you know, pretty 
easily defeat the the bottom two teams in the group for me, which would be Australia and Tunisia. But um, in terms of how they match up against a team like France, because obviously I think that is a major benchmark, I'm not sure just because, you know, as you mentioned, not really sure if uh, Simon Kerr or, um, or Christensen is going to be available. Um, I think Schmeichel has been doing well overall. Um, I haven't, you know, I don't watch League One a ton, but I've heard he's been doing pretty well over there. So, um, yeah, I think Denmark has a solid chance to match up against a team like France, one of those big dogs, but whether they can actually come up with a win there is where I hesitate because I, I don't see Denmark really breaking through quite like that. This is obviously a Cinderella Denmark team after what they did in the Euros. Like you said, making it all the way to the semis before losing to a Harry Kane penalty. And when you look at this team, I think that most of these players have only gone on to develop. I've always been a big fan of their striker Casper Goldberg. And even though he suffered ever since through from Ajax, it's this is a massive time for him to revitalize his career. And I can see this Denmark team making big splashes once again. I could certainly see them beating or tying France, to be honest with you. I think they have the quality to upset teams and to catch teams off guard with some of their playmaking ability. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think that this is a side that um is a dark horse not you know to win it but more in the sense and maybe dark horse is the wrong word here but it's more a side that people may not put enough stock in um it is a really talented side i mean you know quite literally if you're looking at it uh it, it's got talent like martin braithwaite who's uh, played in top five leagues for a while uh and just paulson and Casper dolberg um and you know Christian Eriksen. This is a side that specialty isn't really in the attack. It really more lays in the rest of what comes behind it. Like I, I look at their midfield depth, and it's so freaking talented. Matthias Jensen, Thomas Delaney, Christian Eriksen, Philip Billing, Daniel Voss, and Pierre Emil Hoiberg all listed there as midfield options. It is a really strong midfield. And when you go and you look at that defense, I think a defense with uh, either Joachim Anderson, Simon Kier, or Andres Christensen as the center backs with, I, I would assume, a uh, Joachim Male, uh, I hope I said his name right there, and a Rasmus Christensen. Uh, I have a lot of faith in that defense. It's so good. And obviously capped off by Kasper Schmeichel, uh, one of the best keepers prior, you know, previously in the Premier League. Uh, and now certainly one of the best still in France. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a strong side. It's a veteran side. Um, and it is certainly a side that plays with a lot of heart. Maybe part of the concern for it is, you know, well, you know, th this is a side that was kind of playing for Christian um, during the European Championship because, you know, they all, you know, it, it happened on the field and they were, you know, it, it hurts to see a brother like that go down. And, you know, maybe they just kind of fought and scratched and clawed purely for him. 
Um, but I think that this is a society that can take that type of passion, take that type of uh, feeling and be able to bring it into this type of situation at a World Cup stage and be able to possibly shine. And I, I think that there's going to be a lot of people that sleep on the talent that they bring um, to the World Cup. This is a fun side. It's a dangerous side. And it's certainly a side that I think will be a lot of people's favorites to root for purely because they're coming up against France. So people want to see France lose, but also because of Christian Eriksen and because of ultimately, I don't think they really have a player on that team that you can hate. And I think they're all just relatively cool players. Um, so I, I think it's really, really interesting here. And the final team, the only team that was not in their 2018 group, uh, a little bit of a switcheroo here, uh, as we now have Tunisia in. And Tunisia, a pretty strong side, um, not one that you may especially be familiar with, but they've got great talent, including one of the uh, the second top scorer in the country's history in Wabi Kazri, who is still playing for the side, former Sunderland player, currently playing with Montpellier. Um, but they've also got some decent talent. They have talent littened around Europe. Um, they also have, uh, you know, some pretty pretty decent players, like, uh, for example, as a United fan, uh, Hannibal Mejbi has got a lot of minutes, uh, currently at Birmingham City. Uh, he's a United Youth Academy player, really talented. It'll be interesting to see what young man can bring for a stage like this. Uh, they've also got uh, Elias Spree. I really hope I said that one right. But they, they've, they've got a lot of decent talent. And it's going to be interesting because I could see the, this being a side that, you know, playing from a, a kind of that scrappy underdog standpoint could really make some noise. I think so as well. You know, they do, yeah, as you mentioned, they have had quite a few players on the team who have broken out into Europe a little bit. Um, there's quite a few League One players, obviously, the, the affiliation with Tunisia and France. Um, and then also, uh, you mentioned Kazri up at the front, but they also have their captain in Yosef Sakni, and he as well as providing veteran leadership as captain, is also a pretty good goal scorer uh, in his own right. Uh, he's also, he plays in the, the Qatari League. So a, a good blend of players on this team, I'd say in, in, in our previous reviews of teams like Saudi Arabia and Qatar, where the entire team is internal and that works in some ways in their advantage, but mostly in a negative way. I think Tunisia, despite what most people would argue, they might be the worst team in this group. I'd say that they are significantly better and poses a much better threat than say a Saudi Arabia or a Qatar do in their respective groups. Because even if you look at international results, you know, Tunisia comes in with a with a pretty strong past year or so um they are pretty hit or miss they're either gonna win or lose not really gonna draw um but they have performed well against uh teams in afcon beat egypt last year at the very end in the arab cup and lost to algeria in the finals after extra time so an overall strong team and i agree with you that they're a lot scrappier in that underdog mentality. I think that there's a reasonable chance that they do well here. 
Yeah, this is this was a very hard to beat to the Asian side in the 2018 World Cup. They took England down to the wire and they only lost 2-1 to them. And that kind of helped prove that they could compete against the bigger sides. And I could see them scaring a Denmark side or even scoring an early goal against France. That would then shake this French side into shape. Obviously, their main goal scoring force resides in Wabi Kazi, as you mentioned before. But I also think this is a very defensively compact team. And I, uh, for the lower teams in this World Cup, I think they're top of that lower tier uh, side. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with the fact that they're top of the lower tier side. A little bit of a shout out here, something that I've uh, found out, something I didn't know about coming into this, that these are, I believe, your reigning uh, in Cup soccer champions. Um, now, I don't know much about this competition, but when I look at it, this is a, a, it seems like a, a, like a competition or it was an international like friendly cup, I believe. Um, but they play Chile and uh, Japan, I believe, and they won both those games. And this was a, a cup that had Tunisia, Japan, Ghana and Chile. So three teams that have made the World Cup, only one that hasn't, but still Chile, a pretty strong side. I think it's impressive. And I think that definitely speaks to the talent that this Tunisian team uh, really does bring. I definitely think that it's a side that may not get enough um, enough praise for what it can certainly bring to the pitch. Um, it's got a load of really good talent. Uh, as I said, you know, the fact that they still have their second top goal scorer of all time and their seventh as well uh, in uh, Wabi Kazidi and Yusuf uh Misakni, uh, you know, uh, you know, b- between the both of them, um, ultimately, I-, I think the concern for a side like this is, can it translate to the World Cup? Because it n- never has. I mean, uh, one thing that I've noticed is that of teams that have qualified for six or uh, six World Cups. Um, or even more, yeah, six or more World Cups, they're one of three teams uh, that have not paid it, made it past the group stage, which is Iran, who have only you know been in the group stage in six appearances, Tunisia, who have done it, and then on top of that, Scotland, surprisingly enough, has never made it past the group stage as well. So I find that pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think there's so much kind of coming against this side that I could genuinely see something shocking happening with them. I think it's just a question of how everything comes together for Tunisia. Um, I think that's my biggest uh, thought process for them. I think that I, I want to pull up how um, the, the World Cup games are going for this side. Uh, like the order, because I think things could possibly be interesting if they play like, you know, Denmark or uh, like a France first. I'm trying to see. It's right here. Um, they played Denmark and they played France at the end. Um, so probably not the best. They probably would have wanted to have played France first. Um, but I could definitely see them making noise. Uh, certainly uh, think that they're kind of comparable with Australia um, in this group and could definitely see something happening. I just don't know how confident I am. So that being said, let's go ahead now and break down how we're feeling about this group, starting with the bottom of it, uh, where it looks like we're all in unison here. 
Yeah, originally I was going to go with Tunisia here, but as I thought about it more and more, I just feel, uh, you know, much more confident in the Tunisian team over Australia just because I feel like I can sort of get a sense about where the the team's goal scoring can come from for Tunisia and uh, how they can perform as a team. Again, uh, just looking back at previous results. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with Australia here just because I don't really see much of anything from them. Yeah, well, the reason I put uh, Australia at the bottom is because I think this Tunisia side, it has an identity. It's going to play compact defense, and sure, they have Kazri, but it's going to be all 10 guys behind the ball, um, or and whatever, uh, all 10 guys on defense. They're not going to pose really much any of an attacking force besides on the rare counterattack. But with this Australian team, it looks like they may try and play a little bit out of their league with some players like Aaron Moy, as we mentioned before, and he has shown an ability to do that. I think, I think that that, in a way, kind of hurts them because their players may play a little bit more aggressive, which could end up costing them. But when I look at this Tunisia side, I don't see them really trying to be creative on the ball at all. I see them get, take, winning the ball and kicking it straight out, clearing it straight out every time, and I think that will end up benefiting them. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, my concern with Australia here at the bottom lies in the fact of I don't know who's going to be able to shine for them. Uh, we kind of talked about it in the more that we talked about Australia and then you take a deeper dive into Tunisia. Um, it, it's, it's just I, I wouldn't say it's night and day, but I would definitely say that there feels like a quality disparity um, between the two sides. Like, I just feel more comfortable ultimately, not even from play. It's, it's just from the fact that Tunisia has some of its all-time best players in the team comparatively to Australia, where Australia is going to be looking for some of that new, young, up-and-coming talent. Tunisia's already got some of those guys, including young, up-and-coming talent. Um, so I, I, I just don't see for Australia where they can get points in this group. Uh, maybe they can scrape something from the top sides or Tunisia, but you, I'm more kind of reaching with this side for what they can scrape uh, for, 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 for points rather than um, the side actually being able to, I can, you know, I can feel confident in them winning a game. So that's why Australia is at the bottom for me. And in something where I'm going to be really debating this between this team and my second place team, we are also in the, uh, the agreement as well that Tunisia will be in third. Yeah, again, as I said, I, I feel a little bit more confident in Tunisia than Australia. I think that, and and Kobiorna, I, I know you are expressing potentially doubts about this, that Tunisia could potentially get a result to go in their favor where they can escape the group stage here. For me, that would be stealing a result from Denmark, um, but sure. I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, it's going to be uh, different for you. I think, yeah, if, if Denmark can play, or rather, if they don't play with the same necessarily intensity and passion that they did in Euros, then I can see them very easily falling to Tunisia. You know, last World Cup, 
they didn't do too well in the group stage. In fact, they gave Australia their only points of the group stage. So um, I, th I think this Denmark team is better than that. But overall, I think that Tunisia is going to be third most likely, but there is a scenario that's creeping in my mind and I'm, I'm sort of churning with it whether Tunisia can potentially upset Denmark. Yeah, so like I said, when I see Tunisia play up against Australia, I do see Tunisia winning that game, and that's needed that they want any chance to make it to the knockouts. Obviously, they're going to lose against France. I don't think there's really any doubt against that. Against Denmark, it's difficult. Uh, like I said, I could see them scoring a goal or two, making it difficult, but at the end of the day, I think this Denmark side has just a little bit too much quality and that they will eventually break down this Tunisian side. I, unless Australia was to pull off some type of upset against Denmark, I don't see, I don't see this, I don't see a situation to which Tunisia advances. I, I, I kind of agree with the sense of if this team was to be able to qualify, they would really find that result over Denmark, over France for Tunisia. Um, I just think, for me, I, I, it, it's, it always comes down to kind of knowledge, I think, um, for the concern for some of this, because ultimately anything can happen uh, in these types of tournaments. Um, but when I'm not as familiar with some of these players, it's kind of hard to take Tunisia in full transparency. But on top of that, it's just the sense of... Um, I feel like that there's going to need to be things that go right, right? Like, I, I think, like, you would need to have a star form and, like, Hannibal Mejbi, for example, or Wabi Kazadi would have to put on a stellar performance. And this is a side that, as has been mentioned, has been in really good form as of late, uh, including even having an okay showing in the World Cup. Um, I believe I saw their, they had a five goals scored, eight conceded, uh, one win, two losses. So, not like they lost by massive goal margins, it seems like, but ultimately, um, I just don't see enough with this for this team. And it's unfortunate because I'd love to see something interesting come from them. Uh, it, it's another team that I'm going to have to think about, and I'm going to go and look back on it again before we, you know, kind of break down our brackets in a few episodes from now. Um, be, because of how I'm feeling on some things, but ultimately, uh, Tunisia stays in third. You both have been mentioning Denmark quite a lot, seeing them for second place. Uh, and ultimately, I, I, I don't think there's too, too much to add, but what do you guys really think for Denmark for why they fall? Um, do you think that they have a shot at first place? I think there's a shot Denmark has gets first place. I also think, as I mentioned just moments ago, that I think there's a shot that they miss out altogether. Um, the most likely scenario is that they end up in second and that's not really a knock on them it's just more so to do with the insane amount of talent in class that the the France team has uh so really not much more to say on that I think a second is the likeliest home for Denmark I think if they remain uh relatively injury free and they get back Christensen and Simon Kier from Milan I could see them potentially beating France. I mean, you know, I think as much as the players will say it's not, I think the World Cup curse will kind of hover or hover over this French side. 
So I could see them getting their heads a little bit, which could present an opportunity for Denmark to uh, run in the first place. But uh, realistically, I would have to say that France will be number one and it will place Denmark as number two. Now, I'm going to talk about my first and second here because this is one where I think for listeners and I think particularly for both of you, uh, though I think you can understand where I'm coming from, I think it is a reasonable question as to why I have Denmark first and France second. The reason I have Denmark first, France second is consistency. I think that this Denmark national team is a much more consistent side comparatively to France, particularly in recent years. This is a side that, as I said, fight with a lot of heart, fight with a lot of passion, are really well run, have great depth top to bottom, not quite the same talent as some other sides like France, but it is still world-class talent. I think that this is a side that is kind of slept on in some cases. Um, if you look at how they played here in 2022, it's not that bad. They have three losses, but they are all to sides that are in the World Cup, including Netherlands, and then the other two losses being to Croatia. Um, actually, a little bit of a shout-out here as well. Denmark beat France. Uh, now, it was in the Nations League, but they have beat France this year. Cornelius Brace uh, with Benzema goal. And, you know, it could be a prelude to the things to come. And actually, even on top of that, they beat France twice. I'm, I'm continuing to look at this list. They also beat them in September. Uh, Dolberg and Skov Olsen both scoring. Um, so they have the one-off ball for France. I think that's a big thing uh, now that I've seen that. That wasn't even factored in, I'm not going to lie. But on top of that, it's just the strength that the side plays. And... When you have France coming in, and ultimately a, a lot of this play is going to rely upon the midfield, in my opinion, when you have this matchup, I think Denmark's midfield right now is better than France's. The reason I say that is because of veteranship, um, and it's because of kind of the talent that's there. France, of course, missing Kante, missing Kamara, may miss Pogba. Um, and even if they do have Pogba, he's coming off an injury and he hasn't played soccer, um, at least uh, at the club level, for a little bit. So I am very nervous for this French national team and what it can do. I am genuinely going to be stirring over the next couple of weeks on whether I want France to go for over or I want Tunisia to go over. I may genuinely change that. I may genuinely change Mexico, Poland. But Denmark, um, even if they miss one of Kier or Christensen, uh, honestly, even if they miss both, I think they have enough talent, uh, with, uh, Joaquim Anderson and, uh, why am I forgetting your other center back? Um, it's, bah, 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 he currently plays for Leicester, uh, Yannick Feshgaard. Um, I think that there's enough talent with those two players that defensively they will be able to hold their own against France. Um, and outside of Benzema, I don't feel confident with the French attack. That is my biggest, that is my genuine biggest issue with France. I don't feel good about Mbappe. Um, I'm, you know, I, I do like Coleman as well, but, uh, but I don't know if he's playing. Um, I don't know. I have a lot more questions about France than I do Denmark. And that's 
a lot of the reason why I have Denmark first and France and second. So you guys both have France. Um, I don't think there's too much to question though as to why. I mean, reigning World Cup champs, really well talented. Is there anything you want to add for this French national team? Yeah, it all just depends on what happens after uh, the group stage. Um, the the based on my bracket, it would be France and Mexico in the round of sixteen, and that is going to be interesting. I think France likely wins that one. So sorry, Mexico, but another round of sixteen exit. Um, then after that, though, it kind of gets uh, a bit interesting because. Um, I'm trying to think about it. Um, I, I'm not sure who they would play after that, but then after Mexico, that's when it sort of starts to become a bit dicey as to whether they can continue to perform with some of the, the holes that you mentioned. I think the biggest question marks with this French team is I do think they have enough depth in every possession besides maybe goalkeeper because Hugo Lloris, I don't think he's really deserves to be top dog of France anymore. I know in the Premier League, he's kind of dropped off recently as of late, but I looked and, you know, AC Milan keeper and like natural number two, Mike, Mike Mignon, he's injured and he's projected to come in uh, in December. So I don't think he'll be uh, selected in the squad at all. So there, I do have question marks over this French goalkeeping. But besides that, I think they have enough depth. And I maybe Denmark can pose a threat to placing first. It is a game of uh, obviously very fine margins. But I think French just has enough that will top, that will top this group and go very far in the World Cup. I can certainly see it. I just have my doubts. And... Uh... I feel very secure about Denmark winning this group. Um, almost as secure as I do with Argentina and England, which may surprise you, but that's, that is how secure I feel about that. Uh, I am also taking a lot of the World Cup curse into account, I will admit. Um, but with that all being said, uh, boys, I think it was another really good episode here covering a couple more groups. We are now halfway through our group predictions with definitely these next four groups being hard. They are hard groups to predict. It'll be fun groups to predict. It'll be fun groups to talk about. Um, starting off with group E and F in the next episode, where we'll be talking about the likes of Spain and Germany who have won the World Cup within the past decade. Um, and, you know, Belgium as well, you know, the perennial dark horse and Croatia runners up for the World Cup. A lot to talk about, but it will be talked about another time. I want to thank you all so very much for listening to another episode here of the 3304 Sports Podcast. We have three more episodes until we are done with our overall preview of the World Cup. And the World Cup does begin uh, just about like that Thanksgiving week, uh, week. So it's about, you know, we are about three weeks to a month out. I hope you all are excited as much as we are. We are excited to be bringing you more content on this here soon. So with that all being said, please do uh, uh, keep checking back if you are interested in this. Also, of course, we will be having our football podcast dropping, uh, including a Virginia Tech preview for the North Carolina State game as the, they were on the bye week last week. But with that being said, I want you all so very much for listening to another episode here of the 3304 Sports Podcast. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. 
Please see you. Take care.